Welcome to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. My name is Dr. Andrew Trasetto from NHS Somerset, and I'm joined by my friend and colleague. Hi, everyone. I'm Dr. Sarah Coop. I'm a GP and a medical educator and coach. So we thought today we'd um, talk about habits and the title of today's podcast is Changing Habits. New Year is often a time when people set themselves resolutions. I don't know about you, but often you know that's been something that I've done. And then, you know, a few weeks into January, even maybe not that far, those new resolutions or habits that I thought I would set, such as, um, you know, eating more healthily or going for a run every day, I have no longer sort of sustained those habits. So we just thought maybe it'd be helpful to think about actually what habits are, maybe what gives us a better chance of actually being successful with changing habits and how perhaps we can learn from um, each other in terms of, you know, our success in this area. So we're just going to have a conversation with each other, just um, Andrew and myself today talking about habits. So I wonder what habits you yourself have set up um, or decided that you might look at. But before we get into perhaps some reflective questions for you, our listeners to ponder on, Let's just ask each other, what is a habit? So, Andrew, what would you, how would you define a habit? A habit is a um, a repetitive pattern of response or action in response to a stimulus, I suppose. But there may be a better definition of that, Sarah. No, that's a good one. So, a repetitive, I think that's important, isn't it? Something that's repeated. Um, a response to an action, I think is a good way of looking at it. Would you say it's just behaviours or are there other things that could be habits? No, I'm sure there are other things as well. Uh, I think we can think in certain ways and we can behave in certain ways. So there are thinking habits and there are doing habits. Uh, And some habits are very positive and useful and some habits are unhelpful. So there are habits that harm and habits that heal. Yeah, I think that's really true, isn't it? So we might get into thinking about habits that are sort of life-giving and habits that actually are not so life-sustaining, you know, whether we're talking about our physical health, our mental health. So there's thinking habits, aren't there? And there's behaviour habits. There's also speaking habits. There's things that we can say habitually. And I think for me, there's something around habits have become so repeated that they've become automatic. We often don't even realise we're doing them. I know I read somewhere that I think 40% of of what we do every day is probably habitual. It's just happening automatically. And that's a huge amount of our daily actions and thoughts and speech. I don't know if you've heard something similar or what what your thoughts are. I haven't heard that statistic, Sarah, but certainly it's very useful to have an autopilot of helpful habits that, and healthy habits that get us through the day. And the challenge then is to recognise the, the difficult ones or the gremlins, as, as, as Steve um, Peters in The Chimp Paradox would say, that are really things that we should change. And just before we, we started recording, I asked my wife, well, did I have any unhelpful habits? And she sort of looked aghast at me and said, where do I start? Um, but one of them, she said, is you keep saying, I wish I'd done so-and-so. So there's a thinking habit that sometimes articulates itself in words. A sort of, oh, did I do? It's a sort of slightly a confidence thing. Did I get it right? But, oh, I could have done that instead or I didn't do that. Um, mm, that's interesting. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Would it be, I think it might be interesting to sort of work through a habit as an example. Before we get to that, and you've kindly now sort of volunteered with the help of your wife's um, suggestion there as one that maybe you might want to look at and reflect on. But let's just think about what's the purpose of a habit. And and you said earlier that, you know, one of the things that helps 
our, our daily life perhaps is that we do have these repeated behaviors that that you know can be really good so i suppose for my mind you know one of the good things about a habit is that it frees up what some people call cognitive load so it frees up that space in our mind that if we weren't having to if we were having to think about it, it would take up quite a lot of space so that enables us to focus on other things so for example driving obviously we need to be conscious when we're driving but we do a lot of changing gear indicating mirror checking all of that don't we habitually and we don't even have to think about it which means we're able to then hold a conversation with somebody or perhaps process other things so you know if we think about what is the positive benefit of a habit it's freeing up that mental space. What else do you think? Well, I think just to accentuate that, uh, when we learn a new skill, we move from unconscious incompetence to conscious incompetence. And that can be quite scary and frightening. For instance, um, if you're learning to drive, um, uh, you you may look at it and you think, gosh, that's easy. And then you actually start doing it <laughs> and it isn't at all. Then we move to conscious competence and we move to unconscious incompetence, which is when we've developed healthy habits. And uh, I hope all of us who drive have got healthy habits. I have to confess, I have had to refresh my healthy habits on a couple of occasions by doing speed awareness courses. Um, I'm sure I'm the only one in Somerset that's done it and I'm sure nobody else has had to. But it's it's good to have healthy habits. Um, that, that guide us through through, and as you say, um, take away the, some of that cognitive load. If we had to think about every second that we were driving and every single um, stimulus that was coming our way and every single um, uh, event without allowing it to process at a subconscious level, then we would be very exhausted quickly. We'd be saturated, wouldn't we, by having to think about all of those things, which, as you said, in that cycle from unconscious incompetence through to unconscious competence, by repeating behaviours, they become unconsciously competent in those. Don't we? And that, as you say, frees up things, which enables us to then focus on other things that are more important. So I suppose habits are those habitual things that we do on a regular basis. That means that we don't have to think about them. It really supports and structures us. But another saying that I came across was that we are the product of our habits. So because it perhaps it takes um, several days, I've read somewhere 66 days to create a new habit. So how we are today in terms of what we are doing, what we're saying, what's showing up in our lives is perhaps it's been postulated a, a sort of a result of the habits that we've been carrying out over the last 66 days. Um, and I think it's useful to think about that, really. You know, what's showing up in your life right now? So as you're listening, you might want to think, OK, what's showing up in my life right now that's that's working well? What are the habits that are supporting that? And what perhaps in what ways am I not showing up in the way that I'd like to, whether it's in um, your physical um, state, your financial area, your career, your family, your friends, your mental health, all of those things. And, and actually, what might be some of the habits that I'm doing at the moment that are not supporting that and I might like to change? So that's just a reflection, sort of a question there for, for reflection. Because I've read um, that the fastest way to success, this was Tom Ziegler's quote, is to replace bad habits with good habits. So um, I think that can be a really helpful starting point. What's some of the bad habits and what do we want to change them? 
and, and move towards. So what might be, so um, Andrew, you've kindly, you kindly were brave and asked your wife, and maybe that's one way of doing it, ask for feedback from somebody else who knows you well, who maybe has been keen to tell you the habits that they wish you'd change. The other way is to reflect yourself, isn't it? And think, what are some of the habits that perhaps um, I, I would like to change? Would you be willing to share with me which what habit you might like to um, either start or a habit you would like to stop? Is it the one that, that your wife suggested or another one? I think that would be a very good one. But can I just reflect before we go any further that one can be so busy doing life uh, and we can be busy with tasks and must-dos and imperatives that we can fall into traps and we stop being human beings who by by our nature, we are reflective beings who connect with others and try to see a bigger picture and we can end up too close to the issue and so we can't actually see um, uh, the wood for the trees to use one metaphor we can see the the speck in someone else's eye but we can't see the plank in our own to use another metaphor um, so that ability to reflect uh, is so important and in order to reflect we need a degree of of detachment, a degree of support, and a degree of inner stillness. Because if we don't do that, we end up with one of four problems. And the four problems are wheels, ladders, holes, and tribes, which I'm sure you know all about, Sarah. Well, just tell us a bit more about that then. Well, the wheel that we run on, we find ourselves in problems with when we've become task-driven human doings is the hamster wheel of life or the hamster wheel of the daily grind or the hamster wheel of, of other people's agendas that we're running fast on, but we're not actually getting anywhere very fast. That's the first problem. The second problem is the phenomenon of the ladder, the problem of the ladder. Most of us are very familiar with climbing steadily up the rungs of the ladder on an hourly, daily or weekly or monthly basis, only to find when we get near the top, that the ladder is no longer up the right wall and there's a snake ready to take us all the way back down again. I'm, I'm sure some of our listeners may not have played snakes and ladders. I'm, I, am I betraying my age here? In the, I'm with you on that one. I certainly yes. played that as a, as a child. Uh, the problem about holes is we... we we, as human beings, we sometimes find ourselves in difficulties. Uh, and when we find ourselves in difficulties, it can be a challenge to get ourselves out of the hole of difficulties. Um, there's a little bit of thudding near me at the moment. Somebody's digging themselves deeper into a hole because that's what we often do. We dig ourselves deeper. We find a spade and, and uh, keep shoveling uh, or even borrow a, a mechanical digger to dig ourselves in deeper. So that's the problem with holes. And the, the final problem is the, the tragic problem of tribes. And many of us feel at times that we are a member of that tragic tribe of, 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 of pygmies who are three foot tall, who are one metre tall, and they live in vegetation that's five or six feet deep, uh, two metres deep. And they spend all day running around in small circles saying, where on earth are we? Where on earth are we? Where on earth are we? We're task driven. We can't see the wood for the trees. We're stuck. Uh, and we um, have lost perspective. We've lost insight and we've lost the ability to reflect. That's really interesting, Andrew, because you've talked then about how we can often get so task focused that we're human doings 
rather than human beings. And I know you and I have had lots of conversations around the importance of recognizing our being, particularly when we think about well-being, you know, putting the being back into well-being and not just thinking about what we need to do. And so I'm really keen as we talk about habits to not just be thinking, what do we want to be doing differently? But actually, who do we need, who do we want to be differently? Um, when we and that's what's behind often um, the really successful change in habits is when we think about who we want to be in order to do what we want to do so that we have whatever it is we're wanting to have whereas often we start with the, the other way around we want to have certain things so we think about what we need to do in order to get that and we forget it is who we, who we want to be just thinking about those four areas what are some of the habits or the maybe the negative habitual thinking traps that people might get into that could end them up sort of being stuck in that hamster wheel or up the wrong ladder or down a hole what are some of the thinking traps that could be habitual that people aren't even conscious of do you think i think sarah you've highlighted a really important area we have negative thoughts that can sabotage us Um, and the classic was it one that many of us carry is i'm not good enough And at some stage, many of us have been told uh, by an authority figure, by an adult or whatever, or we have just heard that we're not good enough or we've compared ourselves to somebody else and thought we're not good enough. Uh, And that becomes a self-sabotaging thought. Uh, That's the classic one. Uh, Other ones are, I must try harder. Um, I must be first. I must be top. No, I won't be loved if I'm not good enough. Um, And much of this plays back into self-esteem issues that many people carry, Um, children, adults, uh, older people. We we all carry that baggage with us unless we have grown beyond it and, and shed it. Those are the classic ones. Have you got any that you would like to share that are common ones? I think those were the ones I was thinking of as well. I think from my work with, you know, as a GP with with patients, but also in the coaching work that I've done, when we go looking at the root of what's behind particular behaviours, whether they're ones that are serving somebody well and they want to keep doing it, often they've then been able to turn around the I'm not good enough to recognising I am enough. And um, Brené Brown has done a lot of work, if people have read Brené Brown's um, research on, on sort of guilt and shame, and particularly that often is a core negative belief that people have habitually thought so it becomes unconscious that repeated thought so people become very competent in unconsciously telling themselves and that sabotages as you said people's attempts to change and so often if I was going to think you know what's stopping someone from changing and maintaining a healthier pattern whether it's a thinking pattern or um, something that's fueling a behavior is often those sabotaging limiting self-beliefs um, I know we talked earlier when we talked about restorative coaching about what's really behind, you know, the, um, those limiting beliefs. And it is often these sorts of habitual thoughts. And so they can end up with people feeling they're stuck in a, on a wheel, you know, just going round and round. I must, I must do this. I must prove to myself that I'm okay. Or um, other thoughts that people have, I've come across people having is, you know, I have to be perfect in order to be acceptable. So there's that perfectionist drive um, that's within themselves. And it can present itself in, in different ways. So I don't know if that's helpful for people who are listening, just to recognise you know, what might be some of the habitual thoughts that you actually have. Often they're blind spots and it can, it's not always easy for us to pull those out. But just spending a few moments, as you said, Andrew, just reflecting, just spending a few moments being still. Um, you talk a lot about the deep 
breathing that can be helpful for people just to sort of centre themselves and just asking themselves what might be an habitual thought that isn't serving me well. And I would encourage people often to write that thought out. You know, what are you telling yourself? And write it out because by bringing it into the light, so to speak, on a piece of paper, it often loses its power um, because then we can see it in front of us on a bit of paper and think, actually, what would be a more life-giving thought? How could I, um, what could I really think about myself in a different way that would actually be be transformational? I don't know what you think about that, Andrew. I think that's really interesting, Sarah. I think trying to identify negative thoughts is is really useful. Uh, and once we have identified them, we can do something with them. And Byron Katie, some years ago, wrote and developed um, something she called The Work. And there are four questions that she suggests that we ask about a thought. And the first one is, is it true? And the second question is, can you absolutely know that it's true? And the third question is, how do you react? What happens when you believe that thought? And very interestingly, the last question is the turnaround one. Who, question four, who would you be without that thought? Uh, who would you be without that thought? Not what would you be, what would, but who would you be? Because we carry habitual thoughts, limiting beliefs, like old coats or old old clothes that maybe we've outgrown and they're tight around us and they're constraining us and holding us in from our potential. And we hold on to them because they're familiar, not because they're comfortable, but just because they're familiar and we know them. And sometimes it's it's a challenge to let them go. That is so true. And I think carrying on and continuing that metaphor is when we're given a new coat as in a new thought often that feels uncomfortable to start off with just like a new coat might feel a little bit stiff or just a bit different and so often when we are looking at changing our habitual thoughts um that can feel uncomfortable the same as if you if i asked you just to interlock your hands with your thumbs on top you'll you'll just do it automatically and notice just now as you do that whether your left thumb is on top or your right thumb that will have you'll have done that without thinking now if i asked you to do it the other way and weave your hand your fingers um entwine them into each other and put your opposite thumb on top that will feel strange but actually if you keep changing it over and keep moving after a while that feels more sort of normal and more sort of you're, you're more used to it and it's the same with a new thought, isn't it? And so I think where we're getting to with this discussion, Andrew, and it's really interesting, is we may often try to change our external habits in terms of what we do. And particularly, as I said, at New Year, we think, about right, I'm going to do this differently. I'm going to do that differently. But unless we stop and think about our internal habits first, who do we want to be? And that fourth question of Byron Katie's, we'll, we're, we need to do that first, don't we, in order to actually have the greatest chance of, of transformation and long-lasting change. That's my thought anyway. I don't know what... what I would completely agree. There's a, a hierarchy of what happens to us in life. And we see on the outside of a person how they're performing. Their performing is governed by their behaviour. But those are the only things that we can see on the outside. What's happening inside is that our behaviour and our performance is, is heavily influenced by our thinking. Our thinking can also be heavily influenced by feelings 
Feelings can be, uh, feelings are our subjective awareness of our emotions. Emotions actually being a, emotions being a biochemical cascade. Um, for instance, if I was embarrassed or you were embarrassed at this precise moment, Sarah, for some reason, um, we would blush. And that blush is caused by a, a neurochemical cascade. And all of that, um, all of that uh, performance, behavior, thinking, feeling, and emotion sits on top of our physiology. So if we are well slept, we have a good good chance of good performance. If we are well hydrated and have a good blood sugar, we have a, uh, a good chance of good performance. If we are out of out of balance on any of those basics, actually, uh, performance, behavior, and everything goes uh, goes wobbly. Yeah, so it's really important to look at it as the whole. I think that's what we're saying here, isn't it? That actually focusing on more than just what we want to do differently, going back to who do we want to be. And I think it's helpful then. So if you were thinking about, if I think about a habit that you might want to to change. So before we get on to perhaps asking you again, Andrew, what you might want to work on, and I might just quickly ask a few questions. But for example, a few years ago, I decided that I wanted to run 5K. So that was my goal. And for many of you who are listening, you might have a goal in mind that you want to achieve in 2023. So just write down that goal and look at it and just think, is that something that you want to do, as in run 5K, or is it actually who do you want to be? Because it's you're much more likely to be successful, as we've started saying, if you can think about who you want to be. So a few years ago, I thought I wanted to run 5K. I didn't think I want to be a runner. So once I'd managed to run 5K, I stopped because I'd achieved my goal, because what I'd done or not done was thought about who do I want to be in order to do that. If I thought about I want to become a runner, then I probably would have continued and gone on to running further distances. So that was a limiting factor for me. I didn't think about who did I want to become. So just look at the goal that you might have set yourself for this year. There's a what do you want to achieve, but actually ask yourself who, what kind of person do you need to be in order to achieve that? And write that down because that will actually help you focus on who you want to be. And then you'll be able to identify perhaps some of the limiting thoughts around that. Andrew? Well, I think that's really interesting. Uh, and I'm looking forward to you helping me with one of my um, dysfunctional habits in a minute. But I just wonder what, what your thoughts were about the difference between a habit and, addic- and an addiction. Oh, that that's a big question, that one, isn't it? Um I think and there'll be people who have got very um clear definitions around that. I think an addiction, I suppose it's again, it's habitual, isn't it? It's a habit, but I suppose the definition of an of addiction is something that becomes compulsive, something that um becomes um it's often linked with a destruction or a destructive behavior of some sort. But it could have started out, you know, we could have an addiction to online shopping, for example, but it could have started out as something that that was seemingly harmless. That, but then has progressed into becoming a bigger issue with with more negative implications. But I guess addictions are fueled again habitually. They're things that are just repeated over and over again because there's something positive that the person gets as a result. It it, it fuels some sort of calming state on their emotional um, emotions at the time, or it gives them some other positive reward. I suppose we don't do anything, do we, unless there's something positive in it. Everything that we do um, from smoking through to through to other positive, there's, there's got to be something positive in inverted commas that comes out of it. Um, I don't know. Do you have a, do you have a clearer sort of briefer definition that you want well, to share? I, I don't, but I'm glad you have mentioned smoking because smoking fascinates me because um, it has so many positives 
as long as you don't like them. Uh, <laughs> Go on. Very interesting. Uh, so um, why do adults smoke? They smoke because it's no longer cool to suck their thumbs. Why do they suck their thumbs? Well, we suck our thumbs because it's a deep reflex of sucking, either on the bottle or the breast, which is actually, actually deeply parasympathetic calming. Uh, and so we all in traffic jams or at other times fiddle with our faces, but the thumb in the mouth is actually not often used by adults, which is very calming. Mm. And uh, there are various other aspects of ritual and posture and time out that are beneficial. The only problem comes when we in when we inhale bonfire smoke. That's that's the problem. The sucking is not the problem. The inhalation. But uh, that was a bit of a diversion. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. But it was interesting recognizing, isn't it, that I think when I've worked with patients who want to change um, an unhealthy habit, such as such as smoking or reduce their alcohol intake or other things, often we've got to identify what is the positive that they get from it, because then you've got to substitute that positive benefit with something else. So for some people, it could be just actually a break away from their from their desk, you know, a little bit of fresh air outside, even though they're smoking. And actually, how do they still get that same benefit, but in a healthy way? And often it's looking at that as well that can be useful so I suppose just before we um, spend a few minutes just thinking about the habit that I promised I would I would just chat through with you what we've kind of covered so far I think is just asking or encouraging people to identify perhaps what are some of the unconscious habits that they perhaps um, are occurring in the background that's making them who they are right now which are the good ones that they want to continue with what are perhaps some less healthy or less life-giving habits that that you might want to change and I think just jotting down a goal, but really recognising actually who's the person that you want to be. So what's the person that you want to be? Because if you want to make healthy changes, often you need to think, well, what would a healthy person do in this situation? And ask yourself that. And then it always gives you that choice in that moment um, that can be really, really freeing. So go on then, Andrew. What's the habit that you perhaps would like to either start or stop in the next few few months? I'd, I'd like to stop saying, I wish I'd done such and such. Um, um... So that's that's the habit. And I suppose if I try and think about it with your kind support at the moment, Sarah, wishing for something different is a dissatisfaction with what I've got when what I've got is actually quite possibly perfectly adequate uh, and good for me. And it's also wishing to be somewhere else or wishing to be in another time, uh, another time or another space for some reason. It's put, It's putting my energy somewhere else. So healthily, what I'd like to do is to be present now and to have my thoughts and my energy present now rather than either regretting something past or wishing for something as yet unattainable. Mm. So what I'm hearing you say is that, yes, it's about being present in the moment rather than regretting something or really striving for something, but actually being present in the moment. So out of interest, I guess the question to ask is, what does the current habit that you want to change give you? What's the positive benefit of it? Um, the positive benefit, and I'm sure this comes back to small childhood um, stuff as a, as a moderately sensitive child, is escapism. Because if I'm not present because I've got my head buried in a book or or, or I'm wishing to be doing something else, then I can escape into the fantasy of being something that I'm not. Uh, I can uh, choose not to take ownership of my present condition and I can um, I can pretend. Hmm. And what does Which is that... sometimes nice, but... Yeah. 
but I guess that's what I was going to say. What's the ne- what's the negative? The downside you, you mentioned earlier was either with the regret or the the sort of striving for something in the future and not being present. So the next one, when you're looking at changing habits, what's the trigger? So what's the trigger for that thought? Would you say? Uh, the trigger is when there's something I don't want to do or something I don't feel comfortable with. So mm-hmm. it's it's discomfort avoidance. Thank you for helping me with that. It's discomfort avoidance. Mm-hmm. So if you're working through this as you're listening, you know, obviously I'm using Andrew as a kind of a, a guide and a, a live example. But if you're working it through, the questions to ask yourself is what's the what's the current habit? What's it um, giving you that's maybe positive, but actually you want to think about how you could get that same benefit in a different way. But really identifying what's the trigger. So when you have that same trigger that you've just identified, that sort of the discomfort or wanting to avoid something, What's the what's another thought that you could replace? So we're doing the substitute bit here. What could you replace the unhelpful thought with to something else that would actually be more helpful? Um, well, all things pass. So even if I'm observing an uncomfortable emotion in myself, it will pass. And all I have to do is to um, accept it and work through it and maybe soothe it, but just allow it to allow it to allow it to pass and and not worry about the things that I can't change. Yeah. That's so powerful. Easier said than done. Mm. I guess that gives you that sense of I have you have a choice about what you worry about and what's within your control, what's within your influence and what's actually outside of that. I often think of three circles. I think it was Stephen Covey, the circle immediately around you, what's in your locus of control just outside of that is what you can influence and outside of that is all the stuff that you can neither control nor influence so there's something there that you've identified and I'm conscious we are coming towards the end of the session but you know just identifying what you what's the trigger so that you're aware of what might have been just the automatic recognizing then in that moment between the stimulus and the response of the space isn't there and you have some choice in that space and you can either go one direction or the other. And it's the same with any habit that we have, whether it's a thinking habit or a doing habit. There's a trigger and there's a space. And if we can stop and just give ourselves that think thought, time to think, what kind of person do I want to be? So, Andrew, what kind of person do you want to become with the new habit? Present and tidier. Mm. <laughs> that's, that's a separate habit. We'll, we'll leave that one alone. Another but. session. But the question you ask in that moment is, what would a present person do? What would a tidier person do in this moment? So if, you, you know, if you're in that moment, you recognise the trigger, asking yourself that, that can just help you to stop and recognise. And, and, and again, it will feel a bit like the new coat or the, um, the fingers interlocked that just feels strange in the opposite way. But, but as with practice, that will become the unconscious competence as we talked about earlier so there's so much more we could say about habits hopefully for those of you who have listened thank you very much for joining us it's been useful to think about perhaps some of your habits some of the ways that you think some of the things that you do and you know we've signposted to a few resources there as well that you might want to go and have a read about another really helpful book is tiny habits by bj fogg there's a behavioral model there that i found really really interesting and useful but do reflect on your habits and just think about um what what habits you want to continue which ones you might want to change and look at that what's behind them and perhaps how you might want to sort of shift some of that thinking and perhaps we might pick this conversation up another time andrew depending on uh, whether you're brave enough to bring some more of your habits for me to to think through final thought from you 
Well, it's really helpful that, Sarah, and uh, you might not have noticed and the listeners may not have noticed, but there was a point when you were taking me through that process where I just felt something, a burden lift from around my heart. It was very curious. There was just a a shift of something. So maybe some stuck energy or stuck thoughts or something stuck in my my human software was has has been allowed to move on and grow on. Well thank you for allowing me to to talk you through that. And yeah, thank you all again for for listening. Thank you everyone. Thank you very much Sarah. Thank you. You've been listening to the Somerset Emotional Wellbeing Podcast. Hosted by Dr. Andrew Tresider and Dr. Peter Bagshaw. The show was created by David Seeley and was produced by Rob Hunt's Music on behalf of the Somerset Clinical Commissioning Group.